show you, show me the money. Show me the money. Show me the money. That's it, brother, but you got to yell that shit. Show me the money. I need to feel you, Jerry. Show me the money. Jerry, you better yell. Show me the money. You are locked on Seminoles, your daily podcast on the Florida State Seminoles. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, and welcome back to another edition of Locked On Seminoles. What's up, everybody? It's your boy Drake here, and today in the stream yard, I got Mr. David Wise. As always, folks, today's episode is brought to you by our friends over at FanDuel. This episode is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, the official sportsbook of Locked On. Make every moment matter more. Visit FanDuel.com slash Locked On today to get started. But Dave, we're here to talk about one, someone that's actually kind of going up in the world. And as you know, Wu-Tang once said, cash rules everything around me. Hashtag Wu-Tang is for the children. Money Mike, Miguelito De Niro. At a massive extension to 2029, averaging eight $8 million per year. Dave, what do you make of the move by FSU administration to lock up Money Mike? I think they really had no choice. I mean, because once once Mike Gravel gets you to 10 wins and has you in the conversation for playoff darling uh, the following season and gotten the kind of performance out of both the offense and defense, and, and obviously he doesn't coach the defense, but that means he's, you know, got the right guys in the program. Um, he's steering the ship towards the treasure. Uh, rest in peace, Mike Leach. But, you know, he's he's doing everything right. And had we, it's funny because had last season gone, like I think a lot of our more skeptical fans thought it did, and we won six games, I think we'd have a lot of people clamoring for a new head coaching search. So it's funny how fickle uh, this whole game is, but look, it, it really doesn't matter. He 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 did it for he he did what we needed. He did what was needed to be done. We won ten games that were every fan in our program, every fan of our program was happy last year, and right now, and should be happy going into next season. And we have all the hope in the world. You juxtapose that against what's going on at Florida and Miami. Miami might as well begin their next coaching search because Mario Cristobal is not going to make it there very long. Florida might as well begin their coaching search. Billy Napier is not going to make it there very long. We're the only program in this state. I'm not talking about UCF. I don't care about them. With any modicum of stability um, and of optimism for the near-term future. And with, with that said, you had two options. You either don't pay him and hope he doesn't leave and look really cheap and have a have have trouble attracting the next candidate or you step up and pay him i guess you know in in the range of other coaches who've either gotten their teams in the past to such performances which is why they got that next contract or in line with the market value of a coach that would come in that you would think could win you 10 games and 8 million dollars a year is about what you pay for a coach that you think is going to get you 10 plus wins and, you know, potential for a conference and conference championship and playoff run. That's where we are. I know that. I mean, I completely agree with, you know, all of your points there. I, people, I think, forget that the, 
the average salary of like a head coach that's actually decent at their job, I think right now is around like five to six. And you right now you're having a head coach who has led you to a 10 win season. I'll be at the first two seasons where eight wins, but you see kind of basically how the path right now for him is to continuously win those 10 game seasons, especially now where coaches are poached nowadays from head coaching spots for right. the power five level. You saw Brian Kelly post away from Notre Dame to LSU, Lincoln Riley from, from um, Oklahoma to USC. It's going to happen a lot more too for a lot of uh, for a lot of administrations where they don't want to actually you know pony up the bills to keep their solid head coach. It's very hard to find a head coach that is very solid at what they do, and then now it's going to be hard even to keep them. So this eight million dollars that's what puts Mike Norvell along along the lines of a lot of coaches like Amar Cristobal being paid eight and a half million dollars. Billy Napier thing right now is six and a half. So it's you're getting a lot more from what you pay for, and also. You, with Mike Novello, you actually see his the climb is actually being um, the yeah, climb is being is being is manifesting. Thank you, Dave. Sorry, it's a little early, folks. My brain's still uh, still not working. But right now, with the eight million dollars, that's what you have to pay nowadays uh, a lot for these coaches. So to me, I think it was a great move. And now, I kind of want to see what is Mike going to do for next uh, season afterwards because I do think they're going to lose some pieces on the staff. So maybe the money from Mike will also be kind of showcased in the money for the rest of the staff, probably as a whole. Yeah, I was just going to say I'm really interested to see if that includes an increase for the coaching pool and not just the assistant coaching pool, but also the support staff, which we've been building up slowly but surely. Um, I, I'm just really excited to see the commitment to football being this, you know, in your face. Like Mike Alford came in and made clear, you know, this we're going to get this football school to where this football school is supposed to be. Not that he, he didn't say that I'm not putting words in his mouth, but read between the tea leaves. And so to see us ponying up this kind of money um, is, is really reassuring of, of the school's commitment to football and making football King. And I think we sacrificed our basketball program for football. And, <laughs> you know, I'm not going to say that's an acknowledgement of that, but that's what happened. And we, I think everybody has the same, everybody around the program, everybody who's a fan of the program, everybody in the country has the same feeling about where we're headed next year. And it was a good time to get that extension in because if we do go where people think we're going to this season and, you know, I don't know, go like 11 and one, maybe 12 and one win the conference and we go to the playoff, that is going to look like a bargain in retrospect because you would have had to have paid him more than $8 million if you make a playoff, I think. And they still might have to give him another extension if that's what happens uh, to rework that deal. But that if if we want to compete with the big boys, you have to have a coach who's capable of doing the things to get you in position to play for a championship. That is, that is what's been done. And I still think there's changes, and I think you do too, that are going to need to be made uh, in the coaching staff eventually. Um, I'm not going to name any names. Make your own, you know, judgments. But there's going to be watched, if you've watched the show long enough, you know where I believe the changes need to be happening. So. Right. So there's there's still going to be changes that need to be made. So everything's not perfect, I don't think. But I also think that if you're a coach like Mike Norvell making that kind of money, I, I gotta think you 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 have to have that level of awareness that you've made it to this stage and you can no longer just have guys that you're comfortable with on staff. You got to have guys that are producing both on the field and or in recruiting at a very, very, very high level. So everything's good here in Knoll Nation, boys and girls. Um, 
you should you should be happy about this. It's a sign of of Florida State's commitment. It's a sign of Florida State's production on the field, and it is a bargain when compared. To, imagine this. Imagine paying that money and getting Mario Cristobal. Jesus Christ. Yeah, I need to text my cousins to see how they're doing right now because I definitely know they're they're kind of going through it right now. But uh, <laughs> sucks to be you, <laughs> literally and physically. But Dave. Before we actually go on to the, over to the next segment, like, do you feel that this is something that we've seen? With, this would be like a really quick question before we go to the next thing. Is that more we see these coaching salaries kind of skyrocketing right now? We're seeing like basically the eight million dollars now becoming the norm and everything else. Do you think now with basically how players are you know actually receiving benefit not been receiving competition for the NIL? You see how much the boosters and collectives are kind of like collectively putting behind the kids. Do you see this kind of maybe kind of like maybe bringing down coaching salaries even a wee bit? Well, look, there's a finite pot of money in the world and in our fans' bank accounts and or our boosters, our fans, our supporters' bank accounts. And if they have to shell out more of that money towards the players, and, and this is for every program around the country that participates in NIL, if you have to shell out more money for your coaches, you're going to have more, less money to pay your players and vice versa. Um, I think the coaching salaries have been a rampant problem for years now i don't think that's like a new thing that anybody's surprised by um i don't think this is going to be the driver for it plus like i mean just if you go by inflation <laughs> i mean coaches salaries were going to go up just like everybody's should go up you you see these quotes if you're on linkedin all the time that tell you like if you didn't get a raise this year uh with inflation that means you got a, a pay decrease and, and you know in a way that's kind of true so it's not that crazy to see that coaching salaries, you know, creep up. But, you know, if you start, to, it, this is what happens. You see, like, if Kirby Smart gets paid $13 million a year, then Alabama has to pay Nick Saban more, and then Clemson has to pay Davos Swinney more, and USC has to pay Lincoln Riley more. And then that just trickles down. It's a domino effect. I hope that's not what happens. I, it just can't get much worse than it is now, because I don't know that we could pay Mike Norrell $11 million a year. I, like, say we win a championship this year. I don't know how much more than $8 million a year we have to pay a coach. I, I just, I don't know. I, I hope we have to find out that answer though. I really do. Yeah. It's going to be real interesting. I do think that works. You probably do for a market correction and you know, Hey, maybe also dabble will stick to his word in the moment. Like when they start paying players, he actually might be leaving. Uh, but yeah, I don't like you dabble, but folks, what we do like is our sponsor over at FanDuel Sportsbook. And as always, is the FanDuel Sportsbook Fade Dave segment of the week of the millennia of the year of the day. Dave, we're going over the, over the NFL draft odds, right? And I know you have a lot of opinions on the quarterbacks in this class. So I want you to give you at least 35 seconds, please, if you could. Let us know how you feel about Bryce Young at minus 160, CJ Stroud at plus 190, Will Levis at plus 650, and Anthony Richardson at plus 3,000 to be the first QBs drafted. How do you feel about those odds, and what's the best value for your pick right there? I'm offended that you named Anthony Richardson amongst that other group. Anthony Richardson and Will Levis are the absolute worst prospective first-round draft pick quarterbacks I have ever seen in my entire life. Somewhere, <laughs> okay, okay, they're not that somewhere bad. right now, Ryan Leaf is breathing a sigh of relief that his name doesn't have to be mentioned in the same breath as those guys. Holy crap, it's bad. Um, but Setting that aside, uh, look, I, I I think Bryce Young, like 
there was always a stigma around Alabama quarterbacks for a long time because they just didn't they didn't play well in the NFL. And, you know, you see Tua having some success. I, I love that they claim Jalen Hurts as an Alabama player, but no, you let him leave because you replaced him. Uh, but, you know, look, sure. <laughs> Bryce, Bryce Young is an animal. Go look at his go look at his stats. It's ridiculous. I mean, I, I think he has to be the first quarterback taken just based on what you saw of him on the field. It, Alabama had deficiencies and he was not one of them. Yeah, so folks, please take CJ Strata plus 190 because as always, as a tradition, you need to fade, Dave, because over here at Lockdown Samuels, we're really excited for our new sports betting partner for Lockdown because it's the number one sports book in America. And if you're new to FanDuel, that's even better. They have so many great features that make betting on sports fun and easy. So jo- so join FanDuel today at FanDuel.com slash LockedOn, L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N to claim your no-sweat first bet on Super Bowl 57. That's FanDuel.com slash LockedOn. L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N. Make every moment matter more with FanDuel, the official sportsbook partner of the NFL. All right, Dave. We're back. We're rock and roll here on Locked On Samuels. We want to thank each and every single one of you listeners for making us your first listen each and every single day. And for all love and support for growing, helping us grow the show, because it's always a great time having myself and Dave. Also, our many guests that come on to as well. But now we're going to continue with business groups and this one can be a little bit of a shorter position group preview or sorry, review slash preview because it is a tight end room. Cam McDonald was the number one tight end for this past season heading into the year. We actually had a show how about Cam McDonald is basically kind of your solid, you know, reliable piece kind of across the middle. But also he was supplemented by a Wyatt Rector who I think didn't he have the trick play against LSU? Right. Wasn't that him? Sounds right. And, and then also Preston Daniel as well, the former, you know, great walkout who had the great one against UNC a few years ago. Dave. I don't think we had that much expectations for a tight end group heading into this year. So why don't we just discuss them briefly, you know, heading into the year and actually how they performed? Because it felt like when they were asked to do something, they actually did perform it probably to the best of their ability. Well, what was most shocking about the tight end room to me last season had nothing to do with Cam McDonald. Cam McDonald was exactly what I thought he would be. Um, I, I think his PFF grade was a little unfair. They have him as the 24th best player on our offense last year. Um Grading at a 64.7. I, I, I don't I don't think that's fair to have him that low because Cam McDonald, you know, typically when, when you called his number, um, he showed up usually, you know, would catch like one of those little 10 yard passes. He had a couple nice plays on the year. Um, uh, we said before the season, we didn't think Cam McDonald would do anything that would necessarily wow you. Um, but Cam McDonald was a fairly dependable tight end. That's not what surprised me, though. What surprised me is what the hell happened to Marcus, Marcus and Douglas. I mean, ah, yes, yes, Biscuit. That dude, I don't know how to describe. There's only one way I can think to describe in words what I saw when I saw Marcus and Douglas, you know, catching screen passes and going 20 yards down the field with them. And it was like, it was like two years ago when we played Syracuse and Garrett Schrader ran for like 3,000 yards on us. And every single time, every yard he gained, just was the most confusing image my eyes had ever seen and my brain had ever processed because he was too slow to be doing it, but yet he was not that slow compared to everyone else moving around him. So I don't know. Marcus and Douglas was too big to be running the way he was. I thought it like, like a guy that weighs 270 pounds shouldn't be as fluid as he is. And he, he, looks, he looks good. Uh, what, what excited me most about Marcus and Douglas is that Mike Norvell realized, okay, 
we can do some unique things with this guy, this guy that wasn't that highly rated as a recruit, but we can do some unique things with him. We can line him up on the field in ways that are going to be confusing to a defense. That's going to make one of our biggest skill players really hard to bring down. And, you know, that's just going to catch everyone. I, I don't think it became, it was a surprise by the end of the season. There was plenty of tape on it, but yet he was still working it in. So it was really encouraging <clears throat> to see Mike Norvell take a tight end room that was, I think we had average expectations at the very best for and squeeze productivity out of it, even, you know, though we didn't have like Brock Bowers here or anything. So really excited from a coaching perspective to see them work those guys in. Really excited from a personnel perspective that Marcus and Douglas was able to have a really, really productive season. Uh, both in pass catching and blocking. I mean, the, Marcus and Douglas was the 13th rated player on our offense last year, graded at basically a 70. And that's some of the better tight end play we've had in a while. So just all around a really encouraging sign. Marcus and Douglas, we have him back this year. So, you know, obviously we'll get to that and, and he'll figure to mix in with that tight end room still because what he showcased last year was that this offense can be more dynamic, I think, than some of us thought. And that, you know, he's a good player for this team. I think he was the best tight end on our team last year. He was the best tight end for this team last year. And that's, co and that's also like, I don't give this coach a lot of this, a lot of flowers. A lot of time I kind of criticism the most on the staff, but Chris Thompson has done a very good job helping develop Marcus Douglas, a player that I think came in. He was probably going to go on the offensive line and then he got injured and then he was probably eventually a uh, he also, I think he wasn't wasn't he was one of those candidates for that he possibly could have been medical right medical redshirt or sorry medically disqualified because of injury. And then you see last year where you're right, he's not the fastest dude, but like at that size, he's like rumbling, blumbling, stumbling. It's like when Jameis had the run against Oklahoma State, like it's not pure speed, but like it's graceful and like the way he is going down the field with that. And he also that great touchdown catch. I think he was the one that caught the AJ Duffy's first TD actually at in FSU at FSU, and actually was a beautiful catch doing. But Marcus Douglas. It showcases that, like I said before, while you and Max at the time laughed at me, Mike wants to run two tight end sets a lot. And he was able to do it actually with the emergence of Marcus and Douglas and also along with Cam McDonald. And then now for the team for this next coming year, we'll talk about it in the next segment. There's going to be so many more options for this team because of who we brought in and also the freshmen and younger players that I'm actually very excited to talk about them. But first, a word from our sponsors. Okay, Dave, it's the end of the show. As it's tradition, I'm going to hand the ball off to you. What makes you excited about this next upcoming year with this team? I know it could be Jaheim the Dream Bell. I know it could be Kyle Morlock. It could still be Marcus and Douglas. But who on this, who on this, I guess, in this group has you really excited for 2023? Well, <clears throat> I'll say this. Last thing I'm going to say about Marcus and Douglas. The thing, I the, the one single thing I think that makes me most excited about what we could see out of him this year uh, is he did not drop a pass last year. Not one. Really? Not one. And that's not something that even with our receivers, we've seen a ton of. Like, Micah Pittman works the middle of the field in a way that lends itself to dropping a couple passes. Like, if you're about to have your head torn off by a linebacker, maybe make a business decision and drop that one and get to the floor so you can get back on the field the next play and and then you I, and you yell at jt like hey man you can't be doing that yeah, right <laughs> so be like, that spot <laughs> so when micah Pittman drops one of those passes i'm not upset but some of the passes that go to our tight ends 
um, are not always caught. Cam McDonald didn't catch everything thrown to him. Um, and the tight end position has not been, uh, you would agree, right? That, that I, th- I don't think defenses have had to do an awful lot of focus and prepping on our tight end position in recent years, right? No, yeah, not really, even though, like, I will say, like, Cam was very dependable most of the time. He did exactly kind of what you expected and asked of him, but you're right. It's like nothing that's, it wasn't super dangerous, which is now, I think, for the season, I think you actually have to worry about the tight ends. That's right. So Jaheim Bell, I don't even know if I would call him a tight end. I know he is, but I don't know that I'd call him that. South Carolina used him as a running back. So he's more of like an H-back, a flex, and you're going to be able to line that dude up all over the field at, at all the different receiver backfield positions. So the, the nice what I was just talking about in that last segment about Marcus and Douglas allowing Mike Norvell working him in in a way that made the offense more dynamic. Well, you want to talk dynamic lining Marcus and Douglas out flexed out wide um, and you have Jaheim Bell, you know, split backs in the in the backfield. I, I don't know what the hell you're thinking on defense is going to happen there. I, but it's going to be really exciting, exciting to see the kind of creativity this staff can do with a big tight end in Marcus and Douglas that can take a screen pass a, you know, a smaller, but incredibly athletic tight end in Jaheim Bell that can line up at any offensive skill spot. And then you bring in Kyle Morlock, another guy who's just as tall as Johnny Wilson, who, I mean, just, just imagine in your head, that scenario, you can have like, Johnny Wilson and Kyle Morlock out there, both six foot seven, Michael Pittman in the slot and, or, and, you know, or Winston Wright or whatever. And Jaheim Bell in the backfield with Trey Benson. I mean, there's so many different plays you could draw up from those different formations and packages of players. It's, it's going to just be really exciting to see other teams have to wonder about our tight ends on the field and what they're going to do. That's, that's a new thing. Well, you know, as Max said, we basically are kind of going to be like UGA from this past season. We're going to have Brock Bowers, a.k.a. We're going to have Kyle Morlock, and then Darnell Washington is going to be Jaheim Bell. And Jaheim Bell, I wouldn't call him more of an H-back. I just think that he he has the size of a tight end. He has the speed of wide receiver, but he has the athleticism of a running back. The kid literally is just super, super talented. And just, folks, sorry about that. If you've seen me watching YouTube, my camera did just cut out. That's my apologies. But overall, like this team is going to be just so much fun to watch, especially with that room, because that adds an extra dynamic that you have to worry about. And what Kyle Morlock, or I like to call him, Jim Halpert, a.k.a. Himothy Halpert, because that kid is going to be him, six foot seven. You just don't teach teach that size. I don't know how the hell is he able to hide away at Shorty University for so, so long. But to me, overall, like this is going to be him and Jaheim Bell. Jaheim Bell actually probably might be your second best weapon behind Johnny Wilson. And then we still, you know, we talked, I think we, we haven't talked about it yet, but also Winston Wright Jr. That's going to be someone else to watch out for, too. This offense has the potential to just be otherworldly with these options with tight end room. How many more blocking combinations? How many more options are available? The playbook is just opening up, and it's going to be scary for the other teams. Yeah, I, I to, to answer your question more bluntly, I think it's I think it's Jaheim Bell that I'm most excited about because having the ability to flex him in all those different skill positions you know, I just I just can't wait to see what that looks like when he's motioning out, motioning back in, motioning to the other side and, you know, seeing some who do you put on him? He's big. Like you said, he with the speed of it, with the size of a tight end. OK, maybe you put a linebacker on. him. Oh, OK, but he has the speed of a wide receiver. Oh, we'll put a DB on him. No problem. OK, well, he has, you know, <laughs> what do you what do you do there? It's a night. It's an it's a matchup nightmare 
And I'm really glad it's, it's a really fortunate turn of events and, and culmination of, you know, recruiting efforts and whatnot that in Jordan Travis's last year here, which I think would I don't think was that like necessarily likely to happen after what he did last season that we have fully loaded this car up with features. I mean, this is this Florida state team is loaded on offense and it's, it's deep too. Like we now have two very three capable tight ends. These two new guys are both, obviously we have to see it on the field, but very high hopes for them. So, you know, God forbid there was an injury to one. I think we'd still be okay. And that's the case at the wide receiver position too, where we just, I mean, we have more guys that are then that are able to see the field, which is why Malik McLean transferred out. And, you know, we, we talked about in the running backs uh, episode, we have behind Trey Benson, we have a lot of different options, one of whom is going to pop this year. So that's an awful lot of weapons for Jordan Travis. You get solid offensive line play and the sky is the limit for an offense that was already top 10 in the country. I mean, I think the only answer to your to the first question you had was how do you block him is you put someone like Fentrell Cypress on him, but uh, hmm. folks... He's on. The, he's he, he's playing for guy. us too this year. He's, he's he's with the good guys and folks. We hope that you were the good guys for you each and every single day, Monday through Friday. Sometimes Saturday, as this week we will be dropping a Saturday episode because we missed Wednesday. But please, Dave, as always, send us home. All right, thank you, Drake, for not telling me what to do. I love when you do that, and I love each and every one of you for listening to us and making Locked On Seminoles your first choice for Florida State podcast or YouTube. For the podcast, find us anywhere you find your podcast, Spotify, Stitcher, Apple, Google Play. There's other places we're there. For the YouTube, give the video a like if you would. If you could, it takes two seconds, please, and we greatly appreciate it. And if you would, also subscribe to the channel, ding the little bell, turn your notifications on, all those good things. Leave us a comment. Who is your breakout candidate at the tight end position? You can answer Marcus and Douglas, too, because there's still a breakout to be had from him. So I want to hear your choice on that matter. Yeah, mine's going to be Brian Courtney. And for Dave, this is Drake. And we'll see you all next time on Locked on Seminoles. Take care, everybody. <laughs>